Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Joined every Tuesday by Derek Klassen, scouting expert for Football Outsiders. Derek, I hope you enjoyed your little Thanksgiving holiday, but we are back to the uh, the fantasy football waiver wire grind. How's it going, man? Not so bad. We at least got one pretty good Thanksgiving game, despite none of them looking that good. So, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I'll say we're kind of at the point of the year where we're running out of runway for some of the, the speculative type of fantasy pickups to really have a chance to make an impact for you in the fantasy playoffs. So we've pared our list down a little bit today from 12 normally to just eight players that we'll focus on. So maybe get a little bit shorter uh, from here on out. But I'll say, too, since we have Derek and we have his scouting expertise to rely on, we're going to do what we've done with some other skill positions and look at the, the rookie tight end class uh, as best we can. We, we kind of scraped the bottom of the barrel to come up with a few of those guys to talk about, but we'll get to that in a bit. But before we get started with the week 13 waiver wire, let me mention that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions right now. It's a limited time offer to get our stats analysis, fantasy and betting info. So don't miss out on that. Head to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show to learn more. Uh, Derek, let's get started with, I guess, probably the biggest of the fantasy moves here. It's uh, Alexander Madison running back for the Minnesota Vikings. There were a couple of top five type of fantasy running backs that got injured last week. But I think Madison is pretty clearly the one, the backup handcuff that you really want to add from a fantasy perspective. I'm suggesting a 100% fab bid here and kind of relying on the basic analysis that he had 32 touches in both weeks three and five when Dalvin Cook missed time previously with an ankle injury. This time it's a separated shoulder that could cost him a couple of weeks. Do you feel any differently about that? And what are your thoughts on Madison, the player? Is this just sort of a short-term thing or do you think of the long-term he has the chance to develop into a real fantasy impact player even when he has like maybe his own team in the future. I kind of have concerns about him being that kind of player. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's like a perfectly good number two. And I think, you know, when your starter goes down, he's good enough. Um, I think his vision is generally good enough. He runs with pretty good balance, but like to me, the biggest difference between what cook provides and what Madison provides is that is I think a lot of the runs when they get bounced to the edge cook is a lot better. I think he's just faster. I think he's more yeah. agile um, in space like that. And I think cook is just more explosive. So that's kind of, the things that cook can give you because he's obviously a better player that Madison doesn't quite do. I think Madison can do, you know, if you block up five yards, he can get you five yards pretty consistently, but yeah. I think he kind of lacks a lot of the the dynamic traits that you would, you would want out of like a legit, legit number one back. So, I mean, if, if speed is the thing that Madison's missing, that I think the obvious follow-up would be the rookie Kenny Nguengwu, who's, who's what he's, I think he's taken two kickoff returns for touchdowns this season, something that basically never happens in the modern NFL game anymore. It seems like he has tons of speed. Is there any way the Vikings can maybe work him in a little bit more offensively? He really has been a special teams, pretty much only player so far this season. And I didn't know if you had any visions of this, maybe being more of a split since cook is going to miss more than an odd or odd week or two here. Right. I think it would be kind of worth exploring, especially with like, you know, if they can scrape into the playoffs. I mean, I think this offense is going to need a little bit more firepower than they have right now to be able to to like actually contest with some of the top NFC mm -hmm. teams. So um, I think it would be interesting to try to get in, in, get him into the mix. I don't think it's going to be like fantasy relevant over the next yeah. few weeks. But um, I think like you mentioned, like what he's done as a kickoff guy is pretty insane. I mean, he's like legit track star speed. That dude can fly. Yeah. So we're, we're starting to get some questions in on our YouTube channel. By the way, we're live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us and ask us questions on YouTube. Also follow along on Twitch or Twitter or Facebook, whatever it is your preferred platform. We love to have the questions. We'll hold these till the end of the show, the like start and sit type questions, the trade type questions. So we can kind of run through these 
these waiver wire options. I guess the comparison and contrast here, Derek, is is with the Panther situation because they lost Christian McCaffrey. He's going back on IR, which means he's done for the season with another ankle injury. So I guess you have a little bit more of a definitive timeline where you're like with Cook, you're not sure whether he's going to miss two weeks or maybe miss four weeks. Could kind of be anything in that range. But with the Panthers, I think there's a little bit less certainty about the players behind him. I'm suggesting Chuba Hubbard as the as the best waiver wire option, but I'm saying more of a 16% fab bid. What are your thoughts on him and the fact that maybe Amir Abdullah has, has gotten a little bit more involved as a pass catcher in recent weeks? Is this more of a split workload, or do you think it's going to kind of shake out more similarly to what we, we expect with the Vikings? I would still probably expect Hubbard to get a majority of, of the shares. Um, I don't even think he's like a particularly great player. He's a ridiculous athlete. Like when he gets north and south, um, he can be really, really explosive. But I don't think he sees the game particularly well right now. And I think that's why, um, you know, like with, with when Christian McCaffrey is your, your running back, every kind of run is open. You can run outside zone, um, inside zone from gun or under center. You can run all the power counter stuff, all that stuff. Hubbard, to me, doesn't always see all that stuff well. I think he needs, you know, the concept simplified a little bit. So um, I think that's part of the problem you're going to run into with him. Um, and then as a pass catcher, like, Abdullah is probably a little bit better. Um, but Hubbard can do it enough that I don't know that Abdullah is going to, like, completely take everything away from him. So um, I would still probably expect Hubbard to get enough volume that he's going to be fantasy relevant. I just kind of don't love him as a player, I think. Especially right now, the issue is also, like, the Panthers' offensive line is even worse than than they were a couple months ago. Like they're they're just down a bunch of dudes and they already weren't very good. <laughs> Don't I know it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty bad situation. A, a wrinkle with this too is the fact that Cam Newton, like independent of him having a really bad week in week 12, he's already been named the starter for the next game. By the way, the Panthers are on by in week 13. So the next game is going to be in week 14 for the team, which also should probably influence maybe a discounted bid on Hubbard or on Abdullah or whoever you're targeting in this offense. But with Cam, I mean, like he's going to probably be taking 50% of the goal line work here anyway. So you're kind of dicing up a small pie that with McCaffrey, it's fine. Cause you know, McCaffrey is going to be getting eight to 10 targets a game when he's in there. That's going to buoy his fantasy numbers, especially in a PPR type of format. But if Hubbard is a little bit less talented as a receiver than Adula is, he's maybe not going to be getting the touchdown work that, that you would expect because Cam Newton's in there. What does that really leave from a fantasy perspective? Are we going to be getting a lot of 15 carries for 45 yards and then nothing else? Cause you know, Rex Burkhead is probably on the wire for, for free. So like, are we getting an upgrade here with Hubbard or are we maybe banking on continued development since he's a rookie? And since maybe the Panthers may prioritize looking toward the future at this point. I mean, truthfully, I think the offensive line is probably just too bad for him mm -hmm. to like get chances to really develop. Like they, they just can't run block right at this point. So I think really what you're betting on is like you mentioned, like the touchdown work is probably not going to be there because Cam is going to take a lot of that, of course. Yeah. Um, and if we assume Abdullah takes even, you know, half of, of the receiving work, that's going to be a problem. Obviously, that wasn't an issue for McCaffrey because McCaffrey's just better. Yeah. You're kind of just hoping that among those 15 carries that Hubbard hits a 30 yard home run, which is like he can do that um, because he's really explosive. It's just you're, you're kind of you're kind of flipping a coin and hoping for the best. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it sounds from what you're saying, like Hubbard doesn't really have much of a future as a fantasy asset. Like he's he's not going to someday be the lead back on a team. Do you, is that something that you would feel? Yeah, kind of, in, a, in a lot of ways, he's kind of to me like a worse version of Antonio Gibson, um, who is also like a really explosive runner, um, kind of a high runner, but, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't always see things particularly well. Gibson is just like an even better athlete and I think a little bit more 
uh, comfortable running between the tackles. So that's kind of what I see. I, I have a, I have issues with Hubbard being like a legitimate number one. Yeah, I mean, got to say, things not looking great for my Carolina Panthers. I, I made <laughs> I made the joke on Twitter that luckily for the Panthers, McCaffrey, they can cut him and only lose $18 million in dead cap after next season. So, Oh, Jesus. <laughs> things looking, looking really bright in their future right now. I uh, hate to see it. Uh, but, you know, I got to say from a fantasy perspective, if, if Hubbard's not going to be a really awesome target for you, maybe you lose out on, on – uh, on Madison players, probably that roster Dalvin cook may already have him on the rosters. You kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. I think we should probably talk about Philip Lindsay for the dolphins. He got picked up last week after being, I can't remember if he was released or maybe picked up off of waivers from the Texans, but either way he did play in his first game with the team uh, had 12 carries for 42 yards, but they were actually playing the Panthers and built a pretty substantial lead early. We're able to run the ball a lot. Miles Gaskin actually had more carries 16 for, 49 and two touchdowns on the day. So this may be less about Lindsay's current role with the team. Cause Gaskin looks like he's still primarily the lead back and more involved in the receiving game. But I didn't know if you had any thoughts about whether Lindsay could maybe build toward more with the new team as he gets more involved. Do you think that he could maybe steal some of the early down work and end up being more the, the Hubbard type of, you know, workload that we would expect for the Panthers for the dolphins and maybe relegate uh, Gaskin to more of a receiving back workload. Is that, is that a possibility in your mind? Maybe, and it's only kind of because of the specific offense that they run, um, which to me is disgusting. I, I hate their like whole <laughs> RPO. Like all we do is run screens, and and like uh, it's just a disgusting offense. However, if you're going to have a runner in those RPO situations, because you're like gaming the numbers count up front, you can probably get away with a guy who is a little bit more explosive and just hope that. If mm -hmm. you have to hand the ball off to him, he can kind of expose a lighter box count because the linebacker goes out to play the slant route or whatever the hell he's doing. Um, and Lindsey might be better. Lindsey could be better for that than than Gaskin is. He's, he's more explosive. That's kind of what Lindsey does. I just don't think Lindsey is a very you know good runner when he has to, to come up on contact, which Gaskin is a little bit better at. So yeah. that would be the only reason I think that this could work out. But I'm kind of just out on Lindsey in general as a player at this point. So I would be kind of uh, not too excited about that happening. So, I mean, the, the full season metrics for Lindsay look really, really bad. It's 2.7 yards per carry, 30.2% uh, rushing success rate. That's the lowest among oh, running wow. backs with 50 or more carries this season. Uh, but I'll mention that like David Johnson is the second lowest at 33.9%. I don't think it's a coincidence that those two players are both on the Texans. The Texans have 3.06 adjusted line yards. That's easily the worst in football. Dolphins are second worst though, 3.53. <laughs> it's like, these are probably the two worst run blocking teams in yeah. football. And while I would generally say that Lindsay seems like somebody that good blocking would really benefit, um, I don't know if maybe there was anything with the even subtle improvements from the Texans to Dolphins that might help him. Lindsay has a very extreme split toward yards before contact versus yards after contact, 1.8 versus 0 0.7 this season. And like with what you were talking about with the RPOs, just like the fact that Tua would be making a read that hopefully would eliminate the first defender, does that like open the door for more yards before contact where Lindsay can get to full speed and maybe turn the corner in a way that Gaskin can't? Like, I feel like that's something that you were kind of teasing toward here, but is it possible that Lindsay would be a good fit with the scheme, even if it doesn't really seem like the personnel around him is really improving that dramatically? Yeah, I, I think it should help because like, you know, if you're, um, if, if two is like reading a linebacker and the linebacker goes out to play the flat route or slant route, whatever it is that they're, they're reading off of whoever 
the offensive line is like double teaming to climb. They don't have to climb to a linebacker anymore. There's nobody there. So you yeah. kind of get a little bit more push initially, which I think to your point is going to be able to help a player like Lindsay potentially get to the second level before he has to meet contact. And then maybe you just hope he beats an angle or, or actually makes somebody miss in space. But um, again, this is still not a very good run blocking offensive line. And even though they, they, they try to do all this RPO stuff, they're still not a good offensive line. So um, I still kind of have my concerns. The other wrinkle here is that the bigger back Malcolm Brown has been on IR for a few weeks. Um, I believe with a quad injury, he could be activated as soon as this week as well. And so like, I don't know if we're kind of tumbling toward a, a three back committee, I guess Salvin Ahmed was involved last week as well. So like there's kind of a lot of players involved and this could get a little jetsy in, which you don't want to see from a fantasy perspective, <laughs> but like, does Brown figure into the equation at all for you? Like how much is it important that you would have a bigger back? Cause both Gaskin and Lindsay are both pretty slight. And so it, it seems to me like maybe he would be involved for like third and short type of situations, but is there more to it than that too? If they want to commit to an actual like run game that is not just based off of all these RPOs, I think Brown is probably better um, because, you know, kind of to your point, he's going to be a little bit better um, in like third and short situations um, inside the 10. He's going to be better um, if he has to like actually fight through contact um, at the line of scrimmage or something like that. So mm-hmm. That could factor into, but I think to your point, like it, it, it wouldn't be like he just comes in and takes over like the starting role or anything. It would be this weird like three or four headed backfield where like potentially none of these players are relevant outside of, you know, a random Gaskin two score game, which he's had multiple of this year, which is yeah. just really odd to me. Yeah, like you wouldn't necessarily think he would be the, the heavy red zone player. And in fact, like I think he split the the close in touches pretty evenly with uh, Salvin Ahmed last game, but he's the one that found the end zone the last few weeks. It kind of reminds me a bit of Washington where JD McKissick keeps like scoring all these touchdowns. Dude, last night was like... Just, like losing their minds about Antonio <laughs> Gibson. He had like 28 carries, but McKissick had both the touchdowns. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, since we have a little bit of time with with the episode today, can you get it a little bit more into like the broader Dolphins offense? Like, the RPO stuff I know was traditionally a college thing. And I think that's kind of what made Tua so successful in college. Like what about it is, is disgusting to you from an NFL perspective? Like it, you could say that it's working. I mean, the dolphins have won four straight games, but maybe I'm getting the sense that you think that may not be the reason for the recent turn of good fortune. Right. It It's just like dishonorable football. Like I, I just don't <laughs> like it. Dude. Like it, you should not be able to, because the problem, too, is like so in, in college specifically, the reason it works a lot more in college is uh you can climb to, I think, like three yards before you get called for ineligible man downfield. In the NFL, it's only one. The problem is I still don't think they call it as much as they should. Yeah. And that kind of allows uh, some teams to get away with it the way that they do. Um, my issue is also one that like they throw off of those RPOs a lot more than other teams do um like the cardinals um and like the eagles also run a lot more rpos but they like they'll hand the ball off a lot more um which for whatever reason to me is like less frustrating to watch um and then my other issue is just like the rest of their passing offense they just don't have like a very interesting drop back game like a lot of their other stuff that they do is like they're just hitting like wide receiver screens um they're throwing a slant route they're like picking people at the line of scrimmage or Jalen Waddle is running like an over route. Like that's the entire passing offense. And to your point, like it's kind of working right now because their skill players, at least, at least their pass catchers are actually pretty good. Like they, they, I think they have a really good pass catching unit. Um, the offensive line and running backs just are not very good. Um, and Tua is honestly like good at these RPO reads and he's pretty accurate on them. So like it is working. 
I think it's just like a brand of football that is really, really annoying to watch. And I don't yeah. think has like long-term sustainability. Like, I don't think you can be a top 10 offense doing what they're doing. It's not, I just don't think it's possible. Well, like how much of it though is, is the decision limited by the personnel? Like if they had better players, would they be doing more stuff with Tua? Or do you think that, that sort of Tua has the personal limitations that may be leading to a really pared down type of offense here? I think it's definitely both. I think Tua, like, I don't think in the NFL he's ever really shown he's that comfortable as a dropback passer yet. I think he's he's proven he's really, really a lot more comfortable on like these RPO and play action stuff. Um, so I think it's partly him. I also do think like the offensive line is very bad and like they are not a good like true drop back pass set type of offensive line. They just don't have the personnel to do that. So I do think if they had a better offensive line, they would be able to do some more legit drop back stuff. Um, I also think if Tua was better, they could do more of it. Mm. So um, I don't really think it's like the receivers, though. I think that receiving core could do whatever they wanted it to do. I think a lot of it is just Tua's limitations mixed with an offensive line that is just they need some help with the RPO stuff. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, we're getting more questions in both on Facebook and YouTube, which appreciate you guys watching us again. We're live Monday through Friday, one to 2 PM Eastern time. We're going to hit all those questions, but we're going to hold them to the end of the show so we can get through all of our waiver wire stuff and some of the tight end rookie discussion we're going to get to uh, Derek. Let's head to the next waiver wire option. It's it's Dante Foreman running back for the Titans, a player that we've mentioned a little bit. I think I was on Adrian Peterson first and then kind of jumped to Foreman and the natural inclination maybe to jump to, to Dontrell Hilliard at this point. He had the best fantasy day of the week last uh, Sunday, 12 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. But my read of things is that that was kind of buoyed by a 68-yard breakout touchdown. Uh, Foreman was getting more work and getting more of the early down work. And I've been like very pleased with his rushing success percentage. 59.5% is sixth highest among running backs with 40-plus carries. To me, what that's saying is that even though he's maybe not bringing the same level of explosive plays that maybe Hillier could bring, he's consistently staying ahead of the sticks, really doing what Henry could do for the Titans. And I feel like he's probably the choice they're going to stick with more on the early downs that can kind of help his value from a fantasy perspective. But what do you think here, both about Foreman, about what the Titans might do, especially with, you know, after their week 13 bye, uh, you know, they may get Jeremy Nichols back and we could be back at another three down, three back committee. So what are your thoughts here with the Titans? Uh, I think I'm for sure out on Hilliard because kind of to your point, like the, the reason he had a bigger day is, um, I mean, he kind of just got lucky on like a really, I think it was like a third and three, like draw play where obviously New England was like not in a very heavy personnel. They were trying to yeah. play, they were trying to play the pass, which truthfully they had been doing all day. And I'll talk about that a little bit more with Foreman, but like, you know, Hilliard just kind of got like a, a lucky little crease and, and bounced yeah. through the safety. So I don't think that's like a consistent, you can't bank on that play every week. That third and three draw usually doesn't do that. <laughs> um, so I don't think that's going to be consistent. Um, with Foreman, I still kind of have my concerns. I think a big reason that they were able to do what they did um, this past Sunday against New England is like New England played their defense in such a way that they wanted Brian Tannehill to beat them. They went to yeah. some more like lighter formations, um, lighter personnel, um, a lot of like too high stuff. They were really really forcing Ryan Tannehill to beat them. Um, and he couldn't, like he, he had like four and a half yards in the tenth or something insane. Um, so obviously they gave up a lot in the, the ground game that way. Um, but I mean, we also saw like Vilichek kind of do this against the chargers and, and like, that's just kind of what they're willing to do with some of these teams where they know the passing game has to beat them. So I think to me, it was more of just like a very specific game plan thing from the Patriots mixed with like a couple of lucky runs. Um, that they were able to get in. So I still kind of have my concerns. 
So I'm confused by one thing. I like Dante Foreman has 3.19 yards before contact per attempt. That's the fourth highest among running backs with his volume of carries so far this season. When I see that, I'm thinking two things. One, I'm thinking, does he have elite speed? Like this year, not counting. Philip Lindsay is a frequent leader of yards before contact. Some of the speedy 49ers types like Raheem Mostert consistently win in that. Foreman is not that. I mean, he's like 240 pounds. He's kind of more of a bruiser. The other thing I expect to see is like really good run blocking from the offensive line, but the Titans are 23rd with 4.05 adjusted line yards. So I'm like, I don't, I don't really know how it is that, that Foreman is doing so well before contact. Are you seeing anything there from a scouting perspective or are we kind of just running into trying to slice up, you know, 40 odd carries and trying to draw conclusions from it? I think the sample size is the problem. Cause like, especially if you watch this past game, there was one like Foreman play where, they actually had like a really good pitch to the outside and it was kind of just like a situation of like they caught the the Patriots were playing like their corners way off because the, the Titans had like a really tight formation. So usually when you do that, the corners are going to play off and high um, and the Titans like pitched off of that. And it was just like they caught the Patriots in a really bad play call yeah. and Foreman just got like a billion yards before contact because he just got the edge for free. So mm-hmm. stuff like that is part of it. Um, I also think like, you know, if half of his carries were from this game, um, that is going to have, you know, that's going to kind of skew the sample size a little bit. Cause like, even with, you know, I, I mentioned like the lighter personnel, lighter formations was part of the problem for new England. I also think linebacker Juwan Bentley played his worst game of the season. He, he's been really, really good all year, mm-hmm. but he was getting just climbed on the second level. Every time there was one where Nate Davis just like put him into the ground. Like it, I think they, the Titans just got like a really lucky and like fortunate day. Yeah. Um, and Foreman's, you know, yards, before contact stats kind of uh, benefited from that. That makes sense. And I feel like the, the Patriots, Christian Barmore, interior defenders, really standout rookie guy. I mean, he's he's playing hurt at the moment, and I feel like maybe mm-hmm. that was an influence or two. But I, I think that kind of all adds up to something here, which is that despite the success, uh, both from an efficiency standpoint and the fantasy success, I'm not sure Foreman is like a dramatically great target from a fantasy perspective. Again, I had him as a 7% fab bid you're running out of guys that maybe you're worth even spending the money on, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough situation here. Um, Shout out Benjamin Robinson, a friend of ours. Uh, He he put in another question that we'll get to a little bit later, Uh, but let's keep going with some of these waiver wire guys, Derek, we're down under 5% for me here. Uh, Not bringing up Taysom Hill. I think you could spend more on him, but I think you're probably (laughs) sick of talking about how much you dislike him, even though he still isn't even playing, but maybe he'll play this week. Um, but let's move to the to the Rams here with wide receiver Van Jefferson. Uh, Odell Beckham is pretty much rostered in every format at this point, but but Jefferson's still available in more than half of both ESPN and Yahoo leagues. Uh, and even though he's less of the star power, I feel like the Rams are so concentrated in the receivers that they have right now that maybe all three of them can have value. So with with guys like Tutu Atwell, Ben Skrinerak, I can't even say that guy's name. Uh, they're all hurt. Robert Woods is out for the year. That Cooper Cup played 100% of snaps. Van Jefferson played 98%, and Odell Beckham even kind of hurt was playing 98% of snaps last week. So I mean, that's you can't can't really play more than every snap at this point. Um, and while Jefferson has had some kind of extreme type of games, including three catches on nine targets this week, but the big touchdown catch, it's kind of like ah, like is the, is there really much here? I'll say there are two things that kind of point to me that he may have fantasy value. One, his target share has really increased from a 13% rate weeks one to six to 18% since week seven. So that's even before some of those other Rams injuries, suggesting he's kind of trending in the right direction there. Two, he's got 3.8 expected touchdowns since week seven. That's the second most among wide receivers behind just Jamar Chase. 
that's kind of a shocking number to me. Like I know he had scored twice in the period, but still has a pretty unlucky shortfall there. Is there anything there with Jefferson? Like, is is he a guy that's going to start scoring more touchdowns? Is it just like, hey, this is a pretty good offense and they're running out of guys to target? What are your thoughts with everything going on here with the Rams? I mean, I think Van's a, a pretty good player. I, I And like the reason I think they picked up Odell Beckham um, mm-hmm. to, to do what they did with the offense, even though they already had Woods and Cup and Jefferson was like, I think they were just trying to make a great thing special. Like, yeah. I think if they just stuck with those three um, and didn't pick up OBJ, they would have been fine. It's just obviously when you can get a star power like Odell Beckham, you do it. Um, but I think Jefferson is like a, a really good player and would be a starter on pretty much every other team in the league. I think he's a phenomenal route runner. Um, he's really clean. His dad, I think, is the receivers coach in Arizona. So that yeah. kind of makes a lot of sense of that. Um, his thing is just like he's not particularly explosive off the line or out of his breaks, um, which is weird because he actually has like pretty good long speed. So he's kind of like a, a funky blend of skills. But um, I don't know. I think he I think he understands how to get in and out of his routes really well. Um, he understands how to keep himself clean. And I think the way he sees the ball in, whether it's through contact or on the boundary, you know, trying to make a weird catch, I think his hands are really good and they're really strong. So I think that's part of why he's been a little bit of a red zone target for them too. So I don't know. I think he can do a little bit of everything for this offense and he's probably never going to get the volume that cup is going to get, but I don't know. He can, you know, we've seen, he can hit these explosive plays. I mean, I think he had one in like week one or two mm-hmm. as well. So like, I don't know, he can, he can have these big games and I think he's a pretty consistent red zone target. Yeah, so I th- it's kind of on topic. I feel like we kind of need to unpack Odell Beckham to really understand Jefferson's opportunities from a fantasy perspective. So let's go ahead and answer Benjamin Robinson's question, which is what do we think of the Rams' performance against the Packers, I assume he means, specifically Odell Beckham Jr.'s usage. I mentioned that he played pretty much every play despite maybe dealing with a little bit of a back injury. But the thing that stands out to me here is that like while the names are still big, like going from Robert Woods to Odell Beckham, it's like it's gotten probably more famous, right? But the, the skill sets of these receivers has changed a lot toward more of the downfield type of big play receivers, right? And less of the versatile, able to block really well type of players. It seems like that's shifting the Rams offense away from one that's it's kind of more run based to more of like a deep play action based offense. Like what, what are your thoughts there? And do you think that does that make Jefferson a good fit for what's going on here with Matthew Stafford? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that really hurts Jefferson at all. Because like I said, I think he's really consistent the way he gets in and out of his breaks. And I think his hands are pretty good. So if they're going to be this like targeting the 12 to 20 yard area all the time, I think he's tough enough that he can make a lot of those catches. Um, and then we have obviously seen he can take the top off a little bit. Um, I think the the problem that they've had in the past few weeks is like, I think the reports of Stafford not being healthy, like I believe him. Like that, yeah. Like Stafford has always been good for like a couple of weird misses every now and then. Like even when he was playing at like an MVP level in 2019 or whatever, like he's always kind of been good for a couple of those, but like he was sailing everything mm-hmm. in this last game. And that's just like he's clearly something's not right. Um, so I think if he can get healthy over the next couple of weeks, I think what they have with this three-headed receiver core is really special. And probably all of them are going to be able to have big fantasy days just kind of depending on what the defense gives them. Like, yeah. I think all three of them are capable and it's kind of just whatever defensive coordinators want to take away. I mean, I, I generally agree, but I, I will say I'm getting concerned about Stafford's health because it seems like he's had back issues the last few years. It's not just this year. And I think he had a bunch of like micro fractures in his back maybe two years ago. And it's, I just don't really feel like that's something that's going to get healthier the more he's playing and getting hit at this point. So I do feel like some of this could kind of fall apart on you down the stretch, but for a player like Jefferson that's available in the wire. Like, I think it's a good bet to go and get him at maybe an inexpensive, you know, waiver price. 
but I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure I would want to be all in on like Odell Beckham. You can't really say that about Cup because of the volume that he's getting. But it seems like this this could be trending in the wrong direction. So I don't really know what to make of it in that sense. All right, I kind of teased this earlier, Derek, but we got to talk about your guy Rex Burkhead running back for the Houston Texans. Just explosion of work the last couple of weeks. 30 carries is, is tied for ninth most among running backs the last two weeks. Um, the broader question might be, what exactly are the Texans doing? You know, they, they've cycled through Mark Ingram, who they ended up uh, getting rid of. They traded him to the Saints. I can't, again, I can't remember whether they they waived Philip Lindsay to, to the Dolphins or whether they released him, but whatever. But from a fantasy perspective, it seems good that like you're down to a two-back committee now where Beck, Bur uh, Burkhead played 61% of snaps on Sunday and Ingram never played more than 46%. Lindsay never more than 26%. It's with the clarity, you can maybe squeeze a little bit of fantasy value out of this, at least from a deeper format. But like, what are the Texans doing? And do you think? I, I, I honestly don't know what they're doing with their offense. And I think like... It does not matter if this is Rex Burkhead or Nick Chubb behind this offensive line. Like, I, I am very much a guy, like, I do think running backs matter. They can make good mm -hmm. offensive lines great. They can make bad offensive lines okay, like we've seen with Najee yeah. Harris in Pittsburgh. But, like, this Texans offensive line is actually so bad that it is unfixable by even Walter Payton. Like, you, yeah. you just – these guys cannot block anything. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, they're what, like – worse in, in adjusted line yards by, by like, like half, half a, yard. a yard. Yeah, it yeah, was like, like it's lo very low close. threes. Yeah, like it's not even close. I wouldn't be even be surprised if it's like one of the worst marks that Football Outsiders has ever had in their database at that. So I don't think it even matters what the Texans are trying to do at running back. Nobody mm -hmm. is going to be able to be able to produce behind this line, I don't think. Yeah, you know, I should have pulled the numbers for Burkhead because I mentioned that Lindsey was last in rushing success rate. David Johnson was second last. You got to feel like Burkhead's in that mix too. He had 27 yards on his 12 carries. So that's, you know, about a yard and a half or two and a half yards per carry. It's not really a great situation from a fantasy perspective. Again, it is promising that he's getting the majority of the work now because he did add three catches for 27 yards. And if he's getting three to five targets a week, you can maybe kind of work your way into the flex range. But it just seems like the situation is really pretty untenable here that it, it's not going to really drive much from a fantasy perspective. Right. Uh, okay, well, then let's just keep going. I don't really want to talk about the Texans too much more than we have to. I don't so think anyone wants to hear about it either. To, to the, the bastion of success that is the Detroit Lions, where sadly, you know, DeAndre Swift ended up suffering a shoulder sprain um, on Thanksgiving. And it seems like he's probably week to week. I suspect he's going to miss at least one, maybe two weeks with that. And Jamal Williams got pretty much a featured workload in his absence, 15 carries and five catches. I think we can probably safely assume that this is really a short-term potential addition. I'm suggesting just a 3% fab bid, but can Jamal Williams maybe make an impact in the short term if Swift ends up missing a couple of games? I actually really like Jamal Williams. I mean, he's just a really hard runner. He's tough. Um, I think his vision, especially on inside the tackle stuff, is, is really impressive. Um, obviously not a guy who's explosive. That's why they give you know yeah. more touches to DeAndre Swift, especially in the passing game. But Williams is still capable enough in the passing game. Like he can catch passes, you know, check downs out of the backfield and get something out of them. Um, yeah. And like he can pass protect. So like, I don't know. I, I really like the floor that Williams brings to uh, the offense. It's kind of just a matter of like, are the Lions going to be in games for long enough for him yeah. to get carries and stuff? That's kind of the real issue. Um, but I mean, I think as a player, I trust him. And I think the Lions offensive line is like decent enough that, you know, he, he can um, have some decent days if they can actually, you know, stay into a game, which again, that's the real issue. 
Well, I mean, their upcoming schedule, it's kind of a mixed bag, I would say. Their next three opponents are the Vikings, the Broncos, and the Cardinals. And, I mean, it's obvious that those three teams are better than the Lions because every team's better than the Lions. But there's an interesting split here where all three of those teams are much better defending the pass than the run. The Vikings are 27th in DVOA run defense, 8th against the pass. The Broncos are 28th and 17th, and the Cardinals are 14th and 4th. Not sure he'll get to the Cardinals game as the featured guy, but like, it's a possibility there that the Lions may kind of rely a little bit more heavily on the run in an attempt to take advantage of a defensive weakness for however long that might last. Um, what are your thoughts on Jermar Jefferson, the late round rookie? Like he, he ended up missing a little bit of time in the midseason, but it seemed from a scouting perspective like he was kind of a zone type of runner. And like those are the guys that tend to get missed on in the draft where they could pop as a fifth, sixth, or seventh round guy like Jefferson is. Like, is there any potential for him to get involved here? Maybe not from a short-term fantasy perspective, but like maybe he could end up being something in the long term. He's very much like a zone runner who's going to consistently pick his right spot. Um, his contact balance is pretty good. I mean, he had like a fairly long run three, four weeks ago or something like that, um, yeah. where he had like kind of ran through a tackle a little bit. So, I mean, he can kind of do that stuff. It's just to me, like at this juncture in his career, he kind of just feels like a little bit lesser version of what Jamal Williams is giving yeah. you. Um, so I can't imagine that he's ever going to like out snap Jamal Williams or anything, but I think it's entirely possible that he he could be a decent player for them. And if he has to play while uh, Swift is still out of the lineup, he can probably produce a, a decent amount. It's just, uh, again, if if we already have concerns about Williams getting enough workload because yeah. the Lions can't stay in games, Jamar Jefferson, even if he's a decent player, is also probably not going to get a decent enough workload. So that that's really my issue with pretty much everyone in this offense rather than how good they to me. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. One more guy, one more great team that we're going to talk about here. LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver for the Jaguars. We're down in the 1% fab range at this point. So this, you know, this is probably more of a deeper league option than it is in a shallower format. But I do think it's encouraging. Like there was a, a tweet from Adam Levitan that I'm going to quote here that, that Chenault, he uh, played 41 of his 53 snaps last week from the slot. And that's a relevant concern because like he started the season as a slot receiver, but that he ended up shifting to the outside when outside receiver DJ Chart got injured. And that's why Chenault didn't pick up the targets like we expected through the middle part of the season. Really, Jamal Agnew was the one getting a little bit more involved there. But then Agnew ended up injuring his hip in week 11 and is now out for the rest of the season. And it looks like Chenault is switching back to the inside. You know, the Jaguars are kind of running out of bodies in any sense, but like, could the move back maybe influence a PPR type of renaissance here? For Chenault, a player that was drafted in the top 40 among receivers in, in PPR formats in the preseason, like, could he get back to that level through the closing stretch of the year? I mean, I think it's actually possible because for as critical as I've been about Chenault, I think a lot of his issues are like exacerbated by being an outside receiver. Um, like, I just don't think he's a very natural route runner. His hands are kind of whatever to me. Um, he, he's a guy who you kind of have to immediately get the ball in his hands. And I think from the slot, that is a lot more you know, accessible if the offense actually knows what they're doing because you can run a lot, just a lot more of those like quick hitting routes over the middle or, you know, that can more obviously be your like jet motion guy if you want to, you know, keep your outside receivers locked in where they are. Um, and I think you can throw like a lot of bubble screens and stuff if that's your slot receiver. Um, hopefully this honestly also means that he gets more work in the backfield um, because I think like you just, if you can have yeah. him get the ball without running a route, that's great. That's the way to use him. So um, but overall, I actually kind of do like the move back to slot, even if I'm not high yeah. on him as a player. I think it's just obviously like where he just more naturally should be playing. 
Yeah, Benjamin Robinson mentions the Jaguars need to draft a wide receiver badly, and I would say put it on the list with a lot of other positions. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> Luckily, they've got a quarterback, I guess we hope. Um, Harry Wolf asks, are we doing questions yet? We're going to hold off on the questions just a little bit longer so we can do a tight end rookie review, but we'll circle back to the questions in probably 10 or 15 minutes. But Derek, we've done this for quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs, but for, for tight ends, there are really not a lot of guys to talk about here. So I think we're probably focusing on Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. For Pitts, like, it's hard not to feel disappointed because it seemed like he was an historically great type of draft prospect. But I will say that 661 yards has him on pace for 10,000 or 1,050, not 10,000. That'd be a lot. Is it disappointing because he has just one touchdown? To me, like from a fantasy sense, maybe that's the ticket. And I'll say that he does have 3.7 expected touchdowns this season. His 2.7 touchdown shortfall is the biggest among tight ends. He's had 17 red zone targets, four end zone targets. So it seems like the workload is there. What do you think of Pitts, the player so far in his NFL career? I mean, I still think he's every, every bit as good as a prospect as we thought he was. I think he just feels disappointing because to your point, I think the touchdown, you know, fortune has, has not quite been there. Yeah. Um, the Falcons also just suck. Like, you know, I know they're five True. and six and they're like still technically in the hunt, but I think everybody knows that they're a bad team. Um, and they're just not really one that's like very interesting. I think especially on offense, they've, had so many issues that like losing Cordero Patterson was like detrimental <laughs> to the way the offense functions, say, yeah. which is like insane. That shouldn't be possible <laughs> in 2021. Um, so I think it's really just kind of a matter of circumstance for him. But I think as a player, he's he's incredibly special. He's obviously like the epitome of what we think of when we think of wide receivers who can play at receiver. Um, you know, he's a guy who can play both from like the big slot um, and do a lot of those crossers and stuff, but you can also legitimately flex him out as like your X receiver, um, run him on go balls, curls, digs, whatever. Like he has everything open to him as a receiver and then he can still block. Like they have other tight ends who are better at that. Um, like I think like Lee Smith um, and stuff like that, like that are better blockers, but like you put him on the line and he can still do it. He's very willing to do it. Um, and honestly, that's something I imagine will be even better for him moving forward, you know, as he gets a couple more years in a strength program, because he's still like a very young player. So I imagine he's still going to get um, bigger and stronger in that sense. So I don't know. He, he's everything that I think we, we hoped he was. And to me, like the most impressive part of what he does is he might have some of the best hand-eye coordination I've ever seen. Like tight end receiver, cornerback, don't care. Like the way he yeah. can manipulate his body to like get to passes anywhere is like it doesn't make sense for someone who's six six. It's just unbelievable. So, I mean, I ranted a lot, but like he's just a really special player. No, I mean, I would say the fullness of the route tree point that you made that does show up in the metrics too. He's got sixteen point seven air yards per catchable target. That's the second highest among tight ends with twenty five or more targets. Thirteen point eight yards per catchable target is the highest among those tight ends. So, like when the ball is coming out and getting to him with, you know, the potential to be caught, he's, he's putting up some massive numbers that like, it really shows more like a wide receiver type of trait. We'll compare that to what Pat Fryermuth is doing in a second, a much more traditional tight end, I would say. And it's, it's night and day. It's just like, again, the offensive line is bad. There's, there's not a lot of receiving talent, especially with Calvin Ridley stepped away from the game right now to like compliment and take away focus of defenses away from them. So it's like, it's not a good situation, but I would say all, all the peripheral numbers point to this guy being as advertised. And I would say pretty clearly the number one tight end from a dynasty perspective in fantasy formats, but let's move into Pat Fryermuth. Um, unfortunately, I think he suffered a concussion in week 12. So he may be out a week or so here, hopefully not. 
Um, but like broadly speaking, he's had a ton of success in recent weeks. He's had a 17.2% target share since week six. That's the week Juju Smith-Schuster went out for the season. That's the 11th highest among tight ends, tied with Mike Gesicki, which I think might surprise people. People think of him as being a top eight or so fantasy tight end at this point. Firemuth also five touchdowns since week six. That's tied for the most with Hunter Henry, 3.6 expected, second behind Hunter Henry. So like a lot of those usage type of numbers, both broadly and in the red zone, are pointing in the right direction. But similar question here to, to Pitts. Like, what do you think of Fryermuth, the player so far? Fryermuth, like, so Pitts is obviously the better player um mm -hmm. overall but like Pitts is more a little bit in like the modern tight end role where he is more of a receiver even though you can put him on the line and stuff Fryermuth is like a legit old school wide yeah. tight end like that dude can block they can put him um you know straight on the line of scrimmage um they can move him into the backfield a little bit in like a wing spot they can flex him out into the slot like, like especially when they go empty they like to do that because it obviously gives Ben like a, a big body right over the middle of the field um, especially in the short area, which is obviously where Big Ben can only really target at this point <laughs> in his career, uh, which uh, I think yeah. is why some of Friar Moose numbers are what they are. Um, it, because like Ben just doesn't have juice to really do a whole lot more than that. So, um, but I don't know. I, I really like the way that Friar Moose can box people out. I think his hands are, are fantastic. Um, it's why he's such a good red zone target for them. Um, so I don't know. I think he, he's just a guy who is maybe not going to have some of those like, you know, 30 yard gains across the field that like Pitts or, or Waller or Gusecki can do. But I think he's going to be such a good, like, you know, consistent eight to 12, you know, yards for your offense whenever you need it, whenever they find a, a quarterback who can do that a little bit better. Yeah. So I mentioned that Kyle Pitts, 16.7 air yards per catchable target. Fryermuth is 6.7. So 10 yards lower. And I don't, I don't think that's all Ben Roethlisberger. Like I know that he can't get the ball down the field, but I think that kind of tells you who Fryermuth is. Another interesting split here is 2.3 total plus minus is six best among tight ends with 25 or more targets. So that's telling you like he's catching balls at a higher rate, given the depth of those throws than you would expect from other tight ends, but negative 1.15 yards after the catch plus per catchable target is second lowest. So like, I would say this is a guy that you expect zero drops, but zero broken tackles from in a season, right? Like I'm getting kind of Greg Olson E vibes, which again, is it's a, it's a great player, but like it's, it's a very specific type of player. It's it's not a Kyle Pitts type of guy. But like, can somebody with that skill set be a top ten fantasy tight end? I say yes because I mean, Greg Olson was that all the time. It's it's really more a question of how much his offense is relying on him. But do you see it sort of the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Like, yeah, like he's not going to have some of those those fun explosive plays that you know uh, some of the true true elite guys can have. But like, yeah, there's not that many great tight ends anyway so if you can be this guy who is always going to be able to catch the ball um and be the red zone threat that we think of when we think of tight ends um and be a blocker like you're going to be one of the top eight or ten guys pretty mm -hmm. consistently just by virtue of like you know there just aren't that many guys who can do the explosive stuff there's only like three or four at a given time so absolutely I mean, we were we were trying to come up with names in the pre-show meeting about like, you know, <laughs> Brevin Jordan's been playing a little bit. Tommy Trimble on the field a lot for the Panthers, but not seeing a lot of targets. Is there anybody else here that's even worth talking about? I mean, we say this in fantasy all the time, but most of these tight ends need two or three seasons to really make an impact anyway. But that's where we are with everybody else from this draft class, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I, I would be excited about Tremble in the future, um, just in the sense of, like, he's a really good and willing blocker, so he's going to be on the field a lot, and you just hope that with a couple of years of development, he can be a little bit better of a pass catcher, but, like, he's probably also not going to be, like, a star or anything. So, like, it, it's 
it's probably just the two guys, Pitts and Fryermuth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe you get like a decent low end, you know, tight end one way down the line. But I don't know who it would even be really. Yeah. All right. Well, that covers the content we made. We aim to play today. Let's go through all of the questions that we've gotten through. Again, we are live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, or Twitter. So send us in all your questions. We'll get to them at the end of shows, just like this. Let's go with Clap Nuts. Classy name here. He has, he's asking we should start two among Cooks, Gallup, Ayuk, and Beasley in a full PPR format. I'll say some injuries are potentially influencing here. I think both Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are going to return to the Cowboys this week. And for me, that kind of relegates Gallup to more of the third to fourth option on the team. And it's, it's going to be kind of more of a deeper league option. I don't think he's your guy there. I mentioned too, Debo Samuel, I think is going to miss a week or two. You know, I'm kind of, I'm blanking on exactly what it was that the injury was. Was it a hamstring? I, I don't know. But either way, Ayak was already trending really positively. The snap shares were over 90% in recent weeks. He was getting a ton more targets. Like, I think he was probably a top 30 or so receiver even before Samuel got injured. But now that Samuel's going to be out, I feel like Ayak could be like a, maybe a top 20 guy in the short term. I know he's not necessarily your favorite player, Derek, but given the potential for a role increase with Samuel out, like, do you see Ayak maybe having some short term fantasy success? Yeah, I'm rolling with Ayak out of this group for sure. Um, not again, like he's, I still think he's kind of a limited player in what you can ask him to do, but they are very good at the things that he can do that offense is, and the offense is rolling. Like they, they really look like one of the better offenses in the league right now. And if we assume that can keep up, I think Ayuk is obviously going to be a beneficiary of that. Um, especially for however long Samuel is out, um, about who to pick for the other one. I guess Cooks just because like by virtue of volume in that passing offense, like it might still, I think he's still top 10 in target share on this season. Now Mm -hmm. he may be a little bit banged up, but if he's playing, I think it's him because with Beasley, I know I've explained before. It's, it's not always as obvious about who's going to be playing and getting a lot of targets week to week with the bills. But I I think that he's got a pretty substantial split when Dawson Knox is healthy. Beasley's getting a lot less work this season. And now that Knox is back, he had two touchdowns um, last Thursday night. I just don't think Beasley somebody that belongs in your your typical type of lineups, even in a full PPR league. So I think it's Ayuk and Cooks, um, mm-hmm. assuming that both of them are healthy and ready to go. Let's go next to Anthony Price. He's asking, should I start Mac Jones against the Bills defense? Um, my answer is probably no. So I, I was a little bit surprised by this, but in my projections last week, Mac Jones was like my last rated quarterback. And then when you're kind of digging in and looking at it, I know he had 300 yards last week, but it's like most weeks it's in like the 210 to 220 range. And it's like Mac Jones is good. He's going to win offensive rookie of the year. Like I would be thrilled if, if I were the Patriots and had him as my next quarterback. But like that's not leading to fantasy success right now because this is a run-oriented offense. Jones isn't throwing a ton down the field. It's probably not going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns. So to me, it's this is a much better real-life player than fantasy player. I don't really want to mess with the Bills' defense with him. Do you feel any differently there? I mean, if anything, I would I would be really excited about any of the Patriots running backs against this Bills' defense. Yeah. I mean, I know the, the, the Bills have, like, a, a really high DVOA um, against the run, but, like, I think part of that is because they're consistently getting ahead in games, and they have, like, a really good – they have, like, a good two-deep of players – um up front so they can kind of get away with just like constantly rotating bodies and if you're already behind the scoreboard you don't even want to run all that much to begin with blah 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 but i think if you're an offense that can like punch this front in the mouth you can kind of get away with doing that and i think that's obviously what the patriots want to do so i think to your point probably more of like a 200 yard day for mac and 
150 on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say the Colts follow that formula pretty effectively yeah. with Jonathan Taylor two weeks ago, right? <laughs> so yeah, like, wouldn't be stunned to see that, like, the Stevenson-Harris combo maybe getting three touchdowns this week. I think that's kind of where you're headed with that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to Harry Wolf. He asks, he's got a PPR trade question. He can trade Travis Kelsey, Jamar Chase, and DK Metcalf for George Kittle, Tyreek Hill, and Chase Claypool. Oh, and also DJ Moore, I'm assuming. Is there another Moore that would be? Let's say it's DJ Moore. All right. Could be Rondell or yeah. uh, Elijah. I, I don't know. That one's kind of tricky. Okay. Let's, let's try to take it one at a time. Kelsey versus Kittle. I know Kittle's had a little bit more success of late, had a couple touchdowns, but I'll say by and large, he has actually scored a lot fewer touchdowns than you would expect over the course of his career. I think he's a little bit less involved as a route runner in the red zone because of how effective he is as a blocker for the 49ers. So for me, I think that's a pretty clear win for Kelsey, although obviously both very good options. Jamar Chase versus Tyreek Hill, probably closer than you think, um, but I think Tyreek probably gets the slight nod there. So DK Metcalf, is, is his target share has like really fallen apart of late. I think he only had maybe one target um, on Monday night this last week. Uh, and, and Russell Wilson is obviously struggling a lot right now. Like to me is, is there something wrong with the Seahawks offense that's going to kind of maybe crater DK's value here? Or is, or is this kind of maybe a fluke in the short term? I'm out on the Seahawks offense until Russ mm. looks healthy. Like he just doesn't, he's just not, I mean, they were already kind of having issues yeah. with putting together what they wanted to do as an offense before he got hurt. And now that he's hurt, He's like in superhero mode, but he can't actually, he doesn't yeah. have the juice to scramble the way he used to. And also his finger is probably still bothering him. So like, yeah. I think, yeah, to your point, like I think the, the Seahawks offense is kind of created to the point where DK's value is probably not that high. And even if the Pittsburgh offense is not very sexy, I think I would still probably prefer Claypool in that scenario. You know how everybody used to poke fun at Baker Mayfield by saying he's what Russell Wilson would be if Wilson couldn't run? Yeah. <laughs> like, Wilson can't really run anymore. And now we're like, just – like yep. Baker Mayfield now. Like, I, I know everyone's going to be trying to, like, add him in the offseason, but I almost feel like the Seahawks might trade and get away with murder right here if they get, like, a hefty return for him. I'm not sure he's the player he once was, but I'm hoping I'm wrong there. Um, but kind of back to the specifics of the question. Here's the problem. Even if DK is, is lost value because of the offensive struggles here – Chase Claypool is playing through turf toe right now. Just doesn't look like the same player. You mentioned that Roethlisberger can't really get the ball down the field to him. So it seems like that offense is really heavily going through Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris, and even Pat Fryermuth right now. Claypool is probably more of a back-end flex guy. And assuming that's DJ Moore, I just I just don't like him with Cam. Like I know the first two games have gone pretty well, uh, but he, he had a red zone target when he had just one red zone target in 16 games with Cam the last season Cam played for the team before this year. And last week he had like a 70 yard, you know, reception that was basically half the Panthers yards. There's just, I just don't think there's going to be enough through the air in that offense to support more is more than like a top 30 to 40 type of receiver. Just don't think the value is really there. So in that sense, I almost feel like Metcalf has the best chance for a rebound here. Cause like Claypool, you don't expect the health to get dramatically better. The Panthers, you don't expect to move off of cam. Maybe, maybe the, the finger will get better for, for Wilson. So all in all, it's pretty close, but I think I would probably stick with Kelsey, Jamar, and DK. Do you do you disagree, Derek? No, I, I probably would just stick with who I have too. And like, yeah, especially if this is DJ Moore. Like, I know he he caught the deep touchdown or, or whatever, but like, yeah, or not, it was almost a touchdown. But otherwise, I thought he looked horrible. 
um, yeah. in that game. Like he just, he had a couple of passes he could have caught a couple of routes that I think he was short on. So um, yeah, if it's DJ Moore, especially in this offense, I'm probably not that excited anymore. Yeah. Harry added some extra contacts with this team and I'll point out that he actually has Jalen Waddle on his team right now too. So assuming it's not like a deep starting type of roster, he can actually just start Waddle in the short term if he's worried yeah. about Metcalf and like Metcalf is the perfect player to have on your bench, hoping that it gets better. Cause like his upside is obviously enormous. I would say it's definitely higher than Claypool's and Moore's in the short term. And I think Waddle's playing really well right now too. Um, yeah, like definitely. especially as of late. All right, next up, Lee Shaker asks, should I trade Javante and DK for CD? CD Lamb, I guess? Uh, are we just abbreviating that with a CD, or am I missing somebody here? No, I mean, that's who I would assume it is. Okay, cool. Um, um, hmm. So, you know, I've been – Javante is one of my favorite players because I'll say, like, he's – I think he's leading the league and avoided tackle rate right now, and I just feel like he's a future star. But you poured a little bit of cold water on that the last time we talked about him a couple weeks ago about maybe the full skill set isn't there right now. And Melvin Gordon keeps playing great, and the Broncos keep having a pretty even split among those two players. Like, are we late enough in the year that maybe the 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 big late season Cam Akers type of breakout isn't going to happen? I think it's probably not going to. And, and and honestly, at this point, I'm not even sure. It's like Javante Williams probably can be like a legitimate number one, even if some of his like vision and stuff is is a little dicey to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the issue is like Melvin Gordon is just playing as He's best. Good he's playing as good as football as he's ever played. Like I genuinely believe he is playing that well right now. Um, so it's kind of a smaller situation of like the Broncos have two legitimately really good running backs rather than it's like, you know, Williams isn't ready or, or something like that. So I think that's just kind of the problem that you're going to have. So I think, yeah, to your point, any breakout that's coming is probably not happening. Yeah. So I'd say, should he trade Javante and DK for CD lamb? I think if he's in a shallow league, the answer is yes. Cause I think lamb is, is clearly the best player in the deal for this year. Um, and if you have any kind of opportunity to replace that on the waiver wire, or maybe from your bench in a shallower format, I think that makes sense. All right. Ben Robinson asks, what do you make of Jarvis Landry's usage in the, on the Browns? Is his target share sustainable rosterable in the standard league or, or half PPR or full PPR only? He still is probably only a PPR type of player because he's just not really ever getting the explosive plays, barring that really funny rushing touchdown from a couple weeks ago. Um, but I'll say that like since Odell Beckham got released, I think it's been a really high, like a top 10, maybe top 15 type of target share. And when you kind of run down the list of options for the team at wide receiver, it's it's pretty bleak. I mean, you've got Donovan Peoples-Jones, a player that I think is really athletic and like a combine wow type of performer, but seems to be only really getting work as like a shot player down the field. Uh, Rashard Higgins was a healthy and active last week, which was kind of stunning to me. And I, I think there's probably a deeper story here because a couple of years ago when Freddie Kitchens was the coach, there was like a weird bearing in the depth chart situation that I feel like there may be some like off field practice type of stuff. I'm just speculating. So I don't really know here, but like you're kind of running into Jamarcus Bradley and Jojo Natson world at that point, And you're like, Oh, this is like, it's pretty tough. Like I know that Landry is a limited player, but there's just not a lot of other guys for this team to throw to. Right. And the Browns have been trailing a little bit more this year and they have to throw. So I feel like Landry is going to be a top 30 PPR guy. Yeah. I, I think it's only it's sustainable. I think to your point through the lens of like, they just, what what else are they going to go to? Like they, they just, they don't have any other receivers like Donovan, Donovan people's Jones is nice, but I think to your point, he's kind of more of like a downfield guy. Um, he can kind of win on the, on the sideline on like back shoulders and stuff, and he can run digs every now and then, but like, that's kind of all he's got in his skill set right now. And then, yeah, the other guys are like, 
I mean, what, like Anthony Schwartz, who is like, yeah, he can take the top off. He can't do anything else. So he was he was out last week too. I'm not yeah, sure. so like I remember if he suffered a concussion or what was going on, but yeah, they they just don't have dudes right now. So I mean, that's just by volume, he's probably going to be able to to continue to do what he's done. Uh, Harry Wolf asks, should, should he do the trade or not? I think we settled on you should keep the Travis Kelsey side that I think yeah. you already have on your roster. Uh, and that wraps up the major questions. Again, thanks so much for watching us live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Uh, tomorrow, Aaron, Mike, and some other guys will be on to discuss the Ask Me Anything questions, so you guys can send them all of that. But that's going to wrap up the Waiver Wire show. Before we head out, I'll remind you again that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscribers. So check out the link, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, or the link in the description of the show to check that out. We really appreciate it. If you want some more fantasy content, I'll be back this Friday looking at the week 13 fantasy preview, looking at some DFS values and everything else. So look forward to talking to you then. Everybody enjoy your week.